the optimal life. So what makes you want to go, Paul, from this successful investment guy doing all these things, been business, you've got it made financially, everything's rocking and rolling. How do you go from that, Paul, to then saying, I want to go and save trafficked children? Take us back. <laughs> well, I'll take you back to uh, to a phone call that I got. I'd, I'd been involved with some uh, different child-related charities, and I was helping to fund one that had identified some trafficked children in Latin America. And I got a it was funny. I was I was building my successful company. I was in in Atlanta, Georgia, this opulent hotel. I mean, I'm I'm like we're we're selling our investment strategy to multi billionaire families, and and I I was you know, living in this beautiful bubble that we had created. And uh, I got a call from the Homeland Security agent that Jim Cavis Jim Caviezel plays in uh, in the the movie Sound of Freedom. Uh, I got a call from him, and he said, Paul. He said, I'm in in Cartagena, Colombia. He said we. We thought there were only 20 children being sold down here. He said, we've identified more than 50 and, uh, and more than 100 children that are in the surrounding cities. And um, he said, I think we can rescue all these ch children at the same time, but I need your help. And I said, well, how much do you need? I, I really thought he needed me to write a check. Mm. And, um, and he said, I need you. Can you be in Colombia in two days? And uh, I immediately accepted. I'm like, I, I didn't know. I said, well, you know, why me? And he said, well, the head trafficker down here has a piece of property he wants to develop into a child brothel sex resort, like a Jeffrey Epstein Island. And he needs he needs a few million dollars to make it happen. And, and the key is we needed to get this guy to bring all the children that he had connections with through his the ones he was trafficking and the other ones. We needed to bring all of them to one place at one time so that we could do a sting operation to rescue them all. And, and, and uh, the Homeland Security, his, his idea was this. Uh, he said, Paul, if you fly down here and convince him that you're willing to fund this project, that um, only under one condition, he has to prove to you that he has all the inventory and that's how we're going to get him to call the other traffickers and bring the kids together. And so I immediately accepted. In, in the movie, Sound of Freedom, my character uh, at, at first did a lot of pushback, like, you know, I don't want to go down, it's too dangerous, whatever. And uh, and it wasn't until they uh, they showed me a picture of this little 11-year-old girl that I decided to change my mind. In reality, when I saw that picture, I was already there. I was in front of traffickers. So I immediately accepted when I was in this opulent hotel in, in, uh, in Georgia. And about an hour later, my business partner called me. John, he was the one, the co-founder of, of the funds with me. And he said, Paul, he said, I, I heard what you're, you're thinking of doing. And his exact words were, have you thought this through? <laughs> he said, he said, this is really dangerous. He said, you're set. You know, you, you've got this multi-billion dollar company. He said, a few more years, you could sell out and, and buy an island and be happy the rest of your life. And my answer was this. I said, John, would I really be happy if I bought an island, if I bought a jet, if I bought a yacht, you know, would that make me happy? I said, and if I was doing something else dangerous, if I was doing, if I was climbing Everest tomorrow, you and I would have the same conversation. He said, yeah, we probably would. I said, and when I'm 95 years old and I look back on my life and I say, I climbed this mountain and I built this multi-billion dollar company and I helped rescue this many children, which one of them matters at all? So that was the beginning of a journey that completely transformed my life. What year was that? That was 2014. So that was 10 years ago. It was a complete 
random phone call from this guy. You had never, you, you were never dabbling in this child sex trafficking space. No, it, it wasn't. It wasn't a random call. That the the random call came about two weeks before, and it was from the attorney general. And uh, he said, Paul, he said, I, I know that you've helped a lot of child related charities, but um, I want to introduce you to what I believe is the worst of all of them. And I, I was donating time. I was I was on the Make-A-Wish board of directors at the time. And I told him, I said, darker than children dying of cancer. You know, how, how can I get involved in in something that's more meaningful than just helping these kids with terminal illnesses? What What's more meaningful? And he said, Paul, he said, there's there's kids that are being sold. I'm like, sold, sold, like sold for what you know just he said you know some labor stuff he said some organ harvesting some tr sex trafficking i'm like how oh, sex tra kids I, I i didn't even register i didn't understand and but that's when he introduced me and some of my uh my friends to this homeland security agent but then fast forward this agent was down there i had helped to fund some things and he he said paul he said i i uh i could use your help so that's as being asked to help fund it was one thing. Physically right. being there is what transformed everything. Yeah, cutting the check is easy. <clears throat> yeah. Actually going down there face-to-face -face with these monsters is a completely different situation. So well, in, in all of my charity work, Nate, I, I, I followed that same protocol. I, I, I didn't want to just write a check to any of these. I liked getting actively involved. In my early 20s, I had a mentor and he said, Paul, he said, if you want to be infinitely more successful in your business careers, he said, decide today to start making a difference in the lives of others. He said, and not just, you know, 2%, the average person only donates about 2% of their, their income to charity. He said, look at numbers like 10% or even upwards of 20% of your money. And then he said, here's the hard part, Paul. He said, you need to commit to 10 to 20% of your time as well. He said, you do that. He said, you can call it karma. You can call it the universal law of exchange. You can call it God. You can call it whatever you want to. There's a higher power very interested in us doing good. And, and I, told, I remember telling my mentor, I said, can... Can I just reinvest my money and my time in my company so it can be bigger, so I can be charitable? He said, no. He said, you need to be charitable so that you can be successful. Don't be successful so you can be charitable. And, and that was a paradigm shift for me from the beginning that, 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 that helped me understand the value of really giving back, not just writing a check, but physically being there as well. So what was that first experience like for you? You get down there. You meet these guys. What's going through your mind, and how does the the thing end? Well, the um, first of all, I, I expected traffickers to have you know three earrings in their noses and 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 tattoos down their cheeks. That the first trafficker I met, Nate, was was a businessman in a polo shirt, clean cut. You know, with this with this property, he had this big plan. He 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 thought he could make tens of millions of dollars a year selling children to rich Americans. And 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 the second trafficker I met was a beautiful woman that, that used to be she ran from Miss Cartagena and she had this modeling agency. And I thought, this is weird. And I that I realized over the last 10 years, I've led or played a key part in over 70 undercover rescue missions in 15 countries. And the common thread with the traffickers wasn't what you think. It wasn't these hoodlums and these thugs. It was arrogance and greed and lust, and 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 it was super interesting over time. Where I actually had to take a look in the mirror and saying, okay, I'm not trafficking kids, but how is 
arrogance and greed and lust negatively affecting the world that I live in and 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 my my own how I show up to the world, et cetera. So that's the first thing. And I'm, I'm sitting there with these traffickers halfway through the meeting. One of them leans forward and he goes, Pablo, I have a gift for you. I said, really, what's your gift? He hands me his phone and there's a picture of an 11 year old child on his phone. And he said, this is princess. She's still a virgin. We just took delivery of some. She's my gift for your party and start talking about horrific things I could do to this little girl. And, and again, in the movie, I was in my car with my driver and I saw that picture in real life. I was right there. I was with the traffickers, but looking at that child galvanized my commitment to use my resources to help in whatever way I could with this mission. And then we, we told him, listen, you know, the only, I'm willing to look at your, your project, but I need to, uh, I need to verify you have all the inventory. We're going to have a party and bring down some of my friends. And we did, we brought down a, bunch of my friends are all Navy SEALs and Green Berets, right? But they're posing as rich businessmen at this party. And, uh, and they ended up bringing 54 children to Cartagena and total between the three cities, simultaneous things, over 100, 127 children and uh, victims were, were rescued and returned to their families. Mm -hmm. And the most, the most transformation, transformational moment of my life was when we were sitting there at this table and um, negotiating this deal with the traffickers. They had brought the children. We put them in a separate part in the house because they're already traumatized enough. We don't, we don't want them seeing the guns and the money changing hands. And, and um, one of the traffickers gets up and he said, Pablo, I have to show you the gifts that I brought you. And he went into the house where the kids are and you could hear some of the kids crying. They were so scared of coming out to meet us. And, and, and um, about 10 minutes later, he came out with four children three little girls one little boy he said these are all virgins this little boy was 11 they gave him cocaine that morning because he was so scared it was going to hurt what kind of what kind of monster thinks that that's attractive you know i'm sitting there on this chair nate i'm literally i'm sitting just like i am now around this table this little girl that they brought out 11 years old wasn't much taller than i was as i was sitting down she was standing up and so our eyes were almost level and all I could see in those eyes was fear. Hmm. That's she was and so this scared. this this was your first ever experience doing an uh, operation. This was the one that was part in the movie. Yeah, yeah. This your was first the ever the, the big one of the biggest things of all time in child sex trafficking. That was your that was your, your <laughs> welcome to the big leagues, Paul. <laughs> exactly. Wow. Yes, I was thrown right into the fire, and then the most the most beautiful moment was after the agents came and stormed the party and arrested everybody. And there was child protective services people that came in with the, the children in the house and, and you could hear them, you could hear them singing, laughing and singing. And I, I started crying, especially the, the, the difference between the crying that we heard half an hour before. And now these children that, and I, I, I turned to my, my uh, operator and I said, that's, that, I, in fact, the same story I told for, for the next three years was that sound of freedom was the most beautiful sound that we had ever heard. Mm. Um, that's why we named the movie The Sound of Freedom, was yeah. that the laughing and, and the joy of those kids was was so beautiful. Yeah, completely overwhelming. Um, but when you, So back to when the guy shows you the picture of the girl, an 11-year-old, and says she's a virgin and she's ready and... You've never had, I mean, you you have to be an actor at that point. 
you're sitting across from a monster. You have to pretend that this is that you're excited and interested. I mean, how, how did you prepare for this? I didn't. I, I had two days. Literally, when when Tim called me, he's like, hey, can you be in Columbia in two days? I'm like talking about Tim Baller. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was the one that 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 uh, Jim played in the movie. And I will tell this just full disclosure to the audience here. Um, there were a lot of different rescue missions, multiple rescue missions and a bunch of operators that, that, that on these different rescue missions that we put all of their stories together into one storyline and a few different characters, right? I mean, little things like that, that, that uh, the jungle rescue it was an entirely different country. It was a little boy, not a little girl. It was an entirely different team, right? And um, and so there's, but there's a lot of things that got put in there. And, and I, I did a solid separation with, uh, with Tim and OUR about five years ago, but I'm super grateful for, um, for the time I had with them and the, the fact that uh, that's what brought me into this, this mission. So, so yeah, he called me, he says, can you be in Columbia in two days? I had no training. And I, and I, you know, the next 70 plus missions, I was there as Paul Stone, Paul Steele, Paul Black, Paul, you know, all these undercover aliases. They didn't have time to put together an undercover anything. Mm -hmm. I had to go as Paul Hutchinson, right? The, the multi-billion dollar fund manager who's, who's uh, you know, can fund projects around the world type thing. So I went down as me. Wow. And um, and that, that by itself. But not, not in that first one. The first one, you were Pablo. Well, they changed it in the movie. We changed it to Pablo. In real life, I went down as me. As, oh, you as did? Paul. Okay. Yeah, I went down as me. What, what we did when we decided to put together the movie because um, because Tim wanted to go public and he wanted to be the face of everything and whatever, we said, okay, we'll we'll have the main character be you and we'll you know put your name on it. All the other operators, we changed the names. You know, Vampiro is actually Batman. His real name is Steve, right? And and Pablo is you know me. But and plus the the producer Eduardo Rossi was the producer of of the movie and he wanted a prominent role and so having a Mexican play me, I kind of needed to be a Pablo. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, what, what, what was that moment like for you, Paul? That first time the guy sitting across for you slides you the picture and says, she's all yours. She's 11. She's a virgin. What, what goes through your mind? First of all, I was pissed as hell. And, um, and I allowed, I allowed my, my real feelings to come out and it actually worked. So here's what happened. There was a Navy SEAL standing behind me and uh, as my real guard and my, my, my show bodyguard and my real bodyguard, right? And he was like, <clears throat> I'm going to walk around the restaurant and make sure everything is safe. Well, later when we were debriefing, he said that that picture of that little girl looked just like my daughter at home. He said, I almost unholstered my weapon and shot him right there. But if we did that, of course, we blow the entire operation. Well, he shows me this picture and I go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. OK, good. Perfect. Beautiful. And and, you know, I was and then something he said, he said, you know, we just took delivery of something. There's something he said made me realize he had more than her. And I said, Fuego, I said, you you have more you have more virgins. You just took delivery. Of. He goes, yeah, yeah, I've got three or four more. I said, you're going to bring those to the party, too, right? And then he said, no, he said, they're too expensive. Now, I'm already paying this guy twenty five thousand dollars for this party. I'm paying him $500 for, per child for a minimum of 50 children just for two hours in the afternoon. He goes, Hefe, you already paid $25,000. You want to F uh, uh, these other virgins? going to cost you maybe $2,000, maybe $5,000 for that little one. It's going to cost you maybe $10,000 more. At this point, Nate, I was legitimately pissed. I, I'm, and, and I let my, my Paul F. Hutchinson ego show right through. 
I'm in my nice suit. I've got $2,000 couplings on. I got a $50,000 Breitling watch on and playing this part of this wealthy don't investor, right? I put my hands on my chest and I say, you don't think I can afford an extra $10,000? He goes, oh, no, Hefe, no. I said, I want every one of those virgins at my party. Now, let me death. just interrupt you real quick, Paul. Did you guys role play this before you went in there? Like, hey, this is how you have to handle it. Or are you just going off on the whim here? I'm 100% whim. <laughs> now, understand this is a year, a year before I'll do a little bit of a quick setup here. A year before I was at a, I called up Sean Reyes, our attorney general in Utah. And I go, bro, I got front row tickets to the Miss America pageant. He's like, I, I said, you want to go? And in his exact words, he goes, Hutch, unlike you, I have a reputation to uphold. I can't be front row in this. I said, no, it's not like that. It's this charity thing we're doing. These girls have lost their dads in military battle. And we're, we're having these little kids crowned Miss America on stage. And so we brought him out. And he said, OK, that's a cool event. Well, because it was a fallen soldier event, the Pentagon sent a representative. It just happened to be a guy who was a 25-year veteran that, that was, for, for the last few decades, was a recruiter for the CIA. And at the end of that event at the Miss America thing, we're sitting at a table. We've got some old Miss Americas there and stuff. And, and John, this, uh, this recruiter, he leans forward and he goes, Paul, he said, Mr. No, he said, Mr. Hutchinson, I've been watching you for the last few days. He said, I think your country could use your talents. And I, I laughed. I said, well, what talents are those? He said, he said in the CIA, we, um, we, we call you a natural chameleon. He said, it's about one in 12 million that have the skill sets that I saw in the last three days. He said, I saw you in seconds break down the barrier of communication and be best friends with a bum on the street, a billionaire or a runway model. He said, you know, we could fly you to Dubai, line you up with some dirty money guys. You have the perfect backstop. You have this multi-billion dollar fund. And I ended up turning him down. I, I when his guys called back a, a bit later, I, I didn't want to put my life in danger for some white collar crime guys in Dubai. But fast forward a year later, when when the Homeland Security agents talking with with our attorney general and they're trying to figure out how they're going to make these ops work. And 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 he said, I, I need somebody who can play this role that can be this wealthy investor who can kind of be able to flow. And and uh, he was there with Josh Romney, too, which is Mitt Romney's son. He ran for president years ago. And and. Uh, the attorney general, Sean, he says, well, have you ever heard of Paul Hutchinson? And Josh said, oh, Paul would be perfect. And I said, I said, I don't. Later, I, I said, I don't think that's a compliment. You guys both think that I would play <laughs> a good undercover pedophile. <laughs> Where does that come from? Yeah. So, so that yeah. was that was the, the, the prequel uh, to this a year later. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why a year later, when Sean, Sean remembered hearing that conversation with the CIA guy, he's like, you know what? I, I've validated the fact that I think Paul could work well in this space. And so I did. I that for after that first one, some of these 15-year veterans that have been, you know, in three litter agencies, they they said, Paul, I I think you could really do this. Um, uh, you know. How do you think, Paul, that those sounds of freedom that you heard that day in Columbia when you guys pull off the sting and you said it was it was the sounds of joy, it was sounds of freedom from those children. Mm -hmm. How did those sounds forever change your life? I um, <clears throat> I broke down crying. I actually have video of me crying at that moment when you could hear the kids. And um, I I, uh, I turned to one of the agents that was there and I said, that changed my whole life. I said, I was, I was going to buy a, a Lambo this year. I actually already picked out this white Lamborghini, this Aventadora. It was beautiful. And 
And uh, I said, I want to I want to give you guys some money instead. What do you need? And he said, Paul, he said, unfortunately, a large part of the demand for parties like this in in second and third world countries comes from wealthy business owners who think and look and dress like you. And he talked to me about the Jeffrey Epstein's of the world back then. And and he said, if you're willing to be the bait, I'll change your whole life. And um, so I went back to the office and I told, I had a personal assistant named Kitty and she, she can type faster than I can think. And I'm, I'm like, Kitty, look, we need to create a whole fake profile. I don't want to be, I don't want to be Paul Hutchinson, of course, because they look me up, but I want it. There's a million Pauls out there. So keep myself as Paul and set up a profile as, as Paul, Paul Johnson. And she's sitting there typing and she stops and she looks up at me and she said, you have a chance to redefine yourself and you're going to be Paul Johnson. She said, how about Paul Stone, and, you know, she so she puts this whole profile together, and for the next two years, I was Paul Stone, and then Paul Black, and Paul Steele, and you know all these other undercover profiles. Mm. Wow! And then you go home, and you're completely, you're in now, you're hooked, because oh, this yeah. is just the beginning for you. Yeah, yeah. I, I when I'm sitting on that chair, and that 11 year old looking me in the eyes, I made a commitment at that moment to myself, to God, to that child, to children everywhere, that I would dedicate my life to eradicating that evil. How did that change your thoughts about money and finance and success? Well, in the beginning, I was still Paul F. and Hutchinson, you know, and unfortunately that, yes, I was doing some amazing charitable stuff and that was super fulfilling, but, you know, I was coming home and building my company from a few billion to many, many billion. And, um, uh, I mean, I had a basketball court in my basement. I had NBA players coming and shooting hoops and having big parties at my house. I mean, I was this, this success, success. And, and it wasn't until I had been doing it for a number of more years where I started recognizing the, the energy of, of ego and arrogance and greed and lust that was common throughout the traffickers, but was also common in my, my social circle. And I'm like, okay, you know, we're not trafficking kids, but are we destroying lives because of the same energy that these guys are in? And I, I started taking some solid looks at myself. And I also started realizing that every time we went in undercover, yes, we're making a powerful impact in the lives of those children. But if not enough was being done to fix the demand or do the healing side, then, then it was, it was kind of perpetuating the problem. 20 more children were being sucked back into the deepest recesses of hell. And the other one, are going through a life of challenges. We've got to deal with their healing, et cetera. And so I, I, uh, I had to take a few steps back. This is before the movie came out. I was the primary investor. I wanted to ensure that the world could see what I saw. And, um, and yes, that, you know, the movie had been made by this time. And I had, I had, but I started, this is one of the reasons I separated from, from the Homeland Security agent from Tim and some others. About five years ago, we created the Child Liberation Foundation separately. And, and I started really focusing on light and hope and healing, not only healing for the children, but healing for the rising generation that has never passed their trauma on, that if given if not given the help that they need, would become contact offenders. And so taking a step back and saying, how do we fix the demand? Do I just throw every pedophile in prison? Yeah, yeah, we do. You know, now don't get me wrong. You know, I'm not a sympathizer there. I, I put my, my life in danger to ensure that these guys never hurt innocence again. 
But what I wish is that I could go back five or 10 years before they ever crossed that line, before they ever touched a child and said, what is going on in your life now that makes you think that's a road that's okay? And, and of course, we don't have time machines, but what we do have is, is millions and millions of people who need healing in some way from their own childhood trauma. And here's a scary number, Nate. Um, one out of every five men, one out of every five of us have been a victim of sexual violence at some time in our life. And the majority of them were when they were children. 25% was under the age of 10 years old. Mm. And if not given the help that they need, one in every three will become a contact offender, will we'll pass that trauma on. So God bless them, the two thirds that grow up to be in protectors because you know of, of that trauma of our childhood. But we need to take a look at the others and say, how do we turn them into protectors instead of perpetrators? So Operation Underground Railroad was more of, hey, let's just go in and eradicate as many of these pedophiles as we possibly can. But they're they're recycling. They're, they're recyclable and they're, they're, there's a, so many of them that are, to your point, hurt people hurt people is what you're saying. Because these young kids that were hurt end up becoming the ones that are doing the hurting into their adult lives. Absolutely. And you guys yeah. come in with Child Liberation Foundation in 2017 and your approach is, hey, how do we – how do we kind of prevent these people? How do we help them emotionally, mentally, and all that spiritually even? Well, so and, and OUR you are and others are doing some some healing stuff now. And and uh, you know, even in the beginning had some uh, had the healing side of things, but it was very much focused on bringing the message to the world, which I think was important, you know, video cameras on every operation, et cetera. The beginning of Child Liberation Foundation was just paying for continuing to pay for the operations and stuff for the next few years of me and our teams, et cetera, once we separated. It's just been the last year and a half that we've been very, very focused on the healing side. And, and beyond the Child Liberation Foundation, my focus is on liberating humanity as a whole. So liberating humanity. I bought liberatinghumanity.com. You can get some resources there to keep your family safe, et cetera. Moving forward, it's buying healing retreats. It's working on on some things that are truly making a difference. In fact, I'm I'm just gonna, if you're okay with it, I'm gonna go down a quick rabbit hole on mm. on, on healing. Cause I think this is for, this was transformational for me in my life. So in the late 60s, um, President Nixon threw a bunch of things under the bus. And all of us, if we're 50 years old or 60 years old or younger, we've been taught our entire life that certain things are as dangerous as cocaine and, and heroin. And what I'm talking about is things like sassafras, white lily, psilocybin. These are different types of psychedelics that were classified as Schedule One drugs in the late 60s. Schedule One, meaning you go to prison for a long, long time if you have this on you, right? However, psilocybin is safer than table sugar. There, there's never been cases of overdose and, 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 and addictions. In fact, it's so powerful in helping people. Now, I'm not a fan at all of recreational, you know, rave parties and whatever else with illicit drugs. What I am a fan of is guided, facilitated plant medicine journey experiences for people who have childhood trauma, PTSD. We have an insanely high success rate with uh with uh, with vets who have had PTSD, with with men and women who have dealt with childhood trauma, the the chances of passing on your trauma is one in three 
if not given the help that you need. By just talking about it in a safe environment, especially when assisted by a facilitator with one of these journey experiences, that number goes down to like one in 50, one in 100 instead of the one in three. And so so um, we're down here in, in uh, Costa Rica right now. We're down identifying different locations, building healing retreats, partnering with other ones. So we can have, we have four and five day fully immersive transformational healing experiences where people can come in and 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 work through their trauma all of us have got it all of us have got trauma in some way you know i i didn't i was never raped as a child but i was 10 years ago i wasn't paul hutchinson i was paul effin hutchinson you're at a multi-billion dollar company and it was this negative arrogant ego that was destroying relationships in my life and everything else and that those same tools that we use to help adults break through that childhood trauma and uh, become men and women of integrity in business and in bed um, is, is things that I, I use to work through my self-imposed ego trauma. How are you identifying potential offenders or, or are you not? We're not. Here, here, here's the thing. When, when we bring these in, this is all about healing. I'm not, I'm not saying, hey, if you don't come, you're going to be a pedophile. You know, I'm saying that all of us need healing, right? All of us. So if, if one in five men have been abused as a child, the other four, five, four out of the five of us have had, had issues with, with other things that we can work through. And so we just open it up. We have, we have couples retreats. We have individual men, women, um, whatever it is. We simply need to realize that what happened to us, especially men, we're, we're like, oh, that thing that happened to me when I was eight by my uncle. You know, I, if I tell anybody about that, that makes me less of a man. No, it won't. You were eight. It was a horrible thing that happened by somebody that was passing on their trauma to you by just being man enough to talk about it to your spouse and saying, hey, you know what? This is some shit that happened in my past. It's it, it showed up in some areas of my life or maybe I tried to sleep with every woman I could just to prove that I wasn't gay. Whatever it is, you know, there's guys that th these traumas affect them in all these ways. And it comes out in anger and and sometimes, you know, low self-esteem or depression, anxiety, et cetera. All of us, all of us need healing in some way. And so being strong enough to say, okay, you know what? Yeah, we've got a we've got a problem with Xanax in this country. We've got a problem with Prozac in this country. We've got a problem with overdoses with opium uh, opioids in this country. We got all these issues. How can we have some real true healing to get people through that so they're not passing that trauma on? That, that makes total sense. Um, but you also talk about eliminating demand. You say the problem with this whole thing is that the demand is high especially yeah. coming from the, the rich billionaire or the wealthy guys here in the United States. So how do you lessen the demand then, Paul? Right. Is it the, or is it the same thing? It's the same thing. It's healing. It's so for a long time, you know, we still have, we've, we've got Navy SEALs that we're funding that, that are going in and, and setting up stings today. You know, they're, they're averaging about 20 plus pedophiles per month, which is huge because each pedophile, you know, 70% of, of, uh, pedophile. Seventy percent of them have between one and nine victims in their in their lifetime, and another twenty percent have have between nine and a hundred plus victims. So you, each one of these guys we pull off the the street, we're saving ten to a hundred plus kids. However, that's just fighting fire with fire. So backing up, creating programs, online programs, anonymous programs that people can go on and say, you know what? Yeah, I've, I've got these addictions and stuff. And, 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 you know, here's something too. Everybody who's listening to us, everybody, Nate, has, has seen pornography, right? Just because you looked at pornography doesn't mean you're going to become a pedophile. 
But understand this, every one of these guys that we arrested started with a hardcore addiction. And people say, oh, you know, I don't have addiction. Okay, we'll stop tomorrow then if you don't have an addiction. Here's what happens with addictions. Just like any hardcore drug, we crave something a little bit harder to have that same fix. For some guys, a little bit harder is a little bit more grotesque, you know, rape videos, whatever, you know, bondage stuff. For some of them, harder is a little bit younger, a little bit younger. Pretty soon they're fantasizing about things they wouldn't have even thought was attractive five years ago. And then they're acting out on the horrific fantasy. So we've got to look at the links of the chain and say, okay, the end link of the chain is the abuse of a child. We never, ever want somebody to get close to that. But what is the next chain there? Is it maybe child pornography where maybe it's hardcore stuff? Maybe it's abuse in the home. Maybe it's, you know, there's all of these chains that we as good adults need to need to say, okay, this is, um, this is a chain. This is a link that we can break right here. And by doing so, everything else falls away. When you're sitting across, Paul, you've met some horrific people, but I assume some of them at times have confess their 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 remorseful feelings to you or or how how this is out of their control and they can't believe it they're monsters they hate themselves have there been moments in time paul as despicable as these people are where you're sitting across from them and you actually feel bad and sorry for these people after doing undercover for a number of years and really recognizing the fact that most of these guys were raped as children most of these guys had a thousand bad things that happened to them and and um, that got them to this point. Now, there's still no excuse. Why? Because the majority of people who have those same things that happened chose to be protectors, right? And people ask me, how can you go face to face with somebody selling you an eight-year-old and not have them see the anger and the hatred in your eyes? And that answer surprises people and, and it makes some people mad. I don't hate them. Now, again, my point earlier, I, I put my life in danger to ensure that they don't hurt innocence again. But what I wish is that we could go back before they ever hurt innocence. Because if we can do that, then we save the kids before they're ever traumatized right. and, and figure out how to put them on a path to healing. And, you know, the, the bigger picture is understanding that, that there are so many people you literally, if you walk out in your front porch and you look left and you look right, there's a good chance that one of those homes is a really dangerous place for children because the adults in that home were traumatized as children themselves and never got the help and ended up allowing that together with their anger and frustration to come out in the abuse of others in either physical or verbal or in some cases, the sexual abuse of children. So, so the key for us as Americans is to take a few steps back and say, where is it coming from? Where is it coming from? And can we fix that? We can, we can help people heal through their own trauma so that there's never a chance of that trauma being passed on. Beautiful stuff. Uh, Child Liberation Foundation, we've linked that in the show notes. We've linked your website, Paul Hutchinson Official, in the show notes as well. Uh, what does the next five, 10 years look like for Paul Hutchinson and team? Um, we have a lot of people that want to put together some documentaries. We have some other movies that are that are in the works. I mean, that, that was really just highlighting one of 
70 plus uh, missions. And a lot of the other ones had a lot more going on and, and some pretty scary situations in, in them as well. And some beautiful, beautiful, beautiful light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I was undercover for 10 years. No, so a year ago, I, my social media following was, I could count them on my hands, you know, and, and um, decided to go public. And through all of the podcasts that I've been on, not even including the viewers of the movie, we're talking just my podcasts and the other people's and their platforms and, uh, you know, individual video clips, over 400 million total views of, wow. uh, wow. since I started a year ago. And, and it's just been super beautiful to be able to connect with so many good people and, uh, and awaken them and, mm. and have their hearts show up. And people ask me, they say, what can I do? How can I help? The worst thing you can do is go be a Rambo and try to rescue kids in Colombia. You're going to get shot. You're probably going to get arrested. The best thing that you can do is go home and hug your kids. People say, how does that help? Well, that yes, like in the movie, there are some cases where a healthy family has healthy children that are taken and put into a container ship and taken to another country. But that's very, very, very seldom. The majority of children who are being trafficked come from broken homes that uh, come from runaways, a broken foster care program. And even a bigger number than that are the kids that are staying in their own homes that are being abused or trafficked. You need to have a relationship with your kids where they can come to you and say, dad, I don't feel comfortable when you have me hug Uncle Harry because he touches me weird. Or I don't, I don't like that friend's house because her brother touches me on my bum. Or our babysitter is showing us pornography and says that we should trust her more than you. These are conversations that if your child in elementary school gets taken in the recess and somebody holds her down and touches her, she needs to have a relationship with you where she can come home and talk about it. Because releasing that trauma immediately will save a lifetime of pain. So that's, that's the answer is going home and hugging your kids. Absolutely. It all starts at home. That's the nucleus. It starts there. It doesn't mean it's going to be perfect. You might have a, the greatest home environment in the world. It doesn't mean that your child is not going to end up going down a path that he or she shouldn't. And, you know, but it, it, if you if you don't have that foundation at home, I would imagine the odds increase dramatically of bad things happening. So 100 Paul Hutchinson official. Where else can people find you? Um, social Instagram, Probably. Facebook. Yeah, liberating humanity. Put an ing. Liberating dot humanity is my ig. Liberating dot humanity is my TikTok, and uh, um, you know, and we're opening up a Twitter now. I don't even. I'm not even on Twitter. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> told me I got I got censored on one of my uh, one of my other shows, and they're like, "Hey, Paul, you need to be on Twitter so you can stop being censored." So nice. Nice. Uh, that, that'll be coming. Yeah, you can go to liberatinghumanity.com and just get links to to uh, to a lot of good information. Uh, things, uh, everything from some of the healing retreats that we're doing to uh, to uh, my trainers in in hand to hand combat training and and um, things that can keep your kids safe. We have a lot of a lot of those tools that are available on liberating humanity. Beautiful, beautiful. And we'll make sure we link some of that up in the in the notes as well. Hey, man, uh, fascinating stuff. Really appreciate uh, connecting with you. I know you have been on some big podcasts. I, I saw Jordan Belfort. We talked about Jordan Harbinger before we came on. Uh, Chris Williamson. There was a couple others I saw. You've been on them. None of them as great as the Optimal Life podcast right here, but you know. Right, Nate. <laughs> That's <laughs> hey, right. Hey, continued success to you. Thank you, Nate. Super grateful for your time and the opportunity to spend with your audience.